If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, everyone. Today should be an interesting show. It's the first time we've ever had somebody off Twitter spaces who became a guest on the show. But uh, this is John Baudwin. I want to get that right. Um, and he has a really interesting story to tell about digging in as a data analysis into some of the, let's shall we say, the recording around death certificates and some of the trends he has been seeing. He actually has a suit out. I'm going to have him tell his whole story, how he got involved with this, what's going on now, and what we should be concerned about. He's uncovered some very interesting data. And Humbly, I think people should be listening and very concerned. So let's get to it. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin. Ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it, I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. You can spend thousands of dollars trying to look a few years younger, or you can skip all of that hassle and go with what works. Genucel Skin Care. Genucel is the secret to better skin. In fact, you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of Genucel during a recent unplanned moment on our show. When just a little Genucel XV restored my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That's how fast these products work. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at Genucel.com. Susan and I love Genucel so much, we've created our own bundles so you can try our favorite anti-wrinkle treatments, correcting serums, and ultra-retinol creams. Just go to Genucel.com slash Drew. Use the code Drew for an extra discount and free priority shipping. Again, that is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash D-R-E-W. And we are in here. Thank you so much. I didn't know if there was going to be another one or not, but uh, should be very interesting show today. As I said, this is someone who we learned, we came to know through Twitter spaces. He called in a couple of times. And um, yeah, let's get right to John. Baldwin and see what he's got to tell us. John, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Uh, that, that I see you in on a call instead of just hear you. Yes, not, not just the not just the voices, the, the disconnected voices in space. Uh, we, of course, by the way, are out on Twitter Space today. We may have some time for calls. Hopefully, uh, also I'm watching you guys uh, on the Rumble Rant and over on the Restream. Uh, all the rants, all the uh, various streams that are there in the chats and I'm trying to respond to somebody on the rumble rants right now, but John, tell, tell us the story of how you got involved with this and, and what happened. Oh boy. Uh, okay. Um, 
I, I, I lost my son about almost five years ago. I was depressed sitting on the couch watching TV and they said this disease was coming up and um, I'm not one to believe a lot of stuff, but I thought, you know, we have to take it seriously, find out what's going on. So I told my son, Hey, uh, my, my middle son, I raised three boys. Um, Charlie was, I think 20 at the time. And I said, Charlie, you got to take this seriously. He said, no, it's all BS. <clears throat> so I said, no, Charlie, you got to take it seriously. I got into the CDC data to prove him wrong. And what I found out is CDC had 14 through 2018 data. I was going to compare that to the 2019 and 20, what was going on in, in 2020. And I, I saw an error in the way they were doing calculations of flu and pneumonia. So I wrote to the keeper of the record. Every file at CDC has the email address of somebody that you write to, to to ask questions or to tell them there's a problem. So I wrote and I told him there's a problem. And I got no message back, but the, the file disappeared for 36 hours. And when they put it back, they changed the data. They didn't change the calculations. They changed the data. And right then, I, I knew something was really wrong. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> just all of a sudden, on a whim, you're just going to change all kinds of recorded data that funnels up through every state. Um, and, it, and it made the, the COVID narrative kind of, you know, oh, boy, people are dying from all this stuff. And flu and pneumonia are, are, are now, uh, you know, pushed aside, if you will. So from there, uh, they, they did the mask mandate. And being an engineer, taking standard fluid dynamics and thermodynamics classes as a sophomore, you know, I'm not an expert in anything. Um, so I thought masks don't work. What are they talking about? So I sued the governor in federal court over the mask mandate. And I'm deaf in one ear because I got a shot of streptomycin and penicillin mixed together when I was four years old. Uh, the Hong Kong flu was going around in 1968. So I, um, I wasn't about to take any shot, but it, the mask thing, I'm deaf in one ear from, from that shot. And I thought, um, they're depriving me of receiving free speech from others. Free speech is a two-directional thing. People think only speaking freely. You have the right to hear free speech from others. Now, when the governor covered everybody's mouths by order, I can't read their lips. So I, I, I wove my way through standing doctrine to gain standing for a First Amendment violation. And apparently, anyway, John, let me interrupt. You're, you're, yeah, yeah. you're an attorney by training. Is that, is that true or no? No, no, I'm an no. engineer. And you, you're an engineer. Right? And what kind of engineering? Electrical engineer. Okay. But I never and, did any design. How did work. you, yeah, how did you, like, it, like, it seems like a reach to, to sue a governor. How did you think to do that? Uh, I didn't like what they were doing and I knew it was unconstitutional. So I, I, I will solve this whatever problem. This is Massachusetts, right? Yes. Yes. Everything is a system. Okay. And I, I played in an over 50 soccer league and I won't say the guy's name cause he'll get mad at me. He's a lawyer, big, big time lawyer, big firm, Harvard Law School. I said, hey, give me something like that somebody complained about. So he gave me a complaint that had already been done. I basically copied it, filled in all my stuff, changed the, the law uh, from a statutory law they were using to constitutional uh, right that I have. And I just did it. And then so I was nervous. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. And I have a lawsuit against the state. I, I wrote about 11 papers with regard to masks and everything else. I'll try to wrap this up so we can get to other stuff. What, 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 no, um, don't wrap it up. This is very interesting. And so what do you mean you wrote 11 papers? You mean you did from an from a engineering data standpoint, you analyzed what was available on masks and you wrote, wrote 
sort of opinion pieces about it. Is that correct? Um, no, I, I, I looked into, okay, when was the first mask used? It, there was a paper written in around 1894 where a surgeon said, if we tape gauze to your mouth, we won't accidentally spit into the patient's open wound while we're talking um, to the nurse during the surgery. That was the first time masks were used, and it was only to stop fluid transfer from the surgeon to the patient. Now, it, that's all it it's ever really been. There. And when people point at the surgeons and the surgical masks, that's all it's ever been is to prevent bacteria from the mouth and nose from entering into the surgical field. Exactly. And what they found in the 40s is that when they did a survey of surgeons, how many of you have had splatter across your mask? Then they determined the other way because, you know, things are going to happen, an artery or something's going to burst. And right. The, the, the surgeon gets it in yes. his face. And so they, Almost every surgeon at one time throughout his career had bodily fluids from the patient splash across his mask. So now you have a two-directional thing, but the protection is still fluids and it's not aerosolized, right? And right. I, I can tell Correct. you that. And by the way, there, I, to say that it's one, once, one, you know, one time a surgeon, I, I maybe in certain kinds of fields, like if you're only operating on the ear or something, but you'd be amazed how many times pus pockets are. Uh, opened in surgery under pressure and go all over the place. And that's loaded with bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I cited the papers, um, that I was using as a basis for my papers. They were kind of, you know, they're half articles, half papers. I, um, I have an MBA. I got it when I was 51 through 54. As soon as I graduated, that's when my son died and I sat on the couch and I didn't, I haven't worked. What happened? Um, what happened to your son? He, Bought a motorcycle as a 20-year-old, and uh, oh boy. I had to make a decision whether or not i get in a fight with him on the front lawn, um, uh, take yeah. a sledgehammer to it, or just hope that he only breaks some ribs. And he did yeah. it all. Oh, so. so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I um, started doing the papers, and then I had the lawsuit. And I thought, you know, I, I told his friends. His friends were coming over for the second anniversary of his death, and I said, Go check out my website. I just I just created a website via Vera Vita, the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, my son's name was there? John. He was born in the forties. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, via Vera Vita. Okay, nice. Yeah, nice. That's my other website. I I now have a new one as of yesterday. We'll get to in a minute. But um, I I told one of his friends who's a Maronite Catholic, very religious. Uh, go check out my website. And then they were coming over for beers on the patio, and I. Th kind of where way truth and life comes from. Uh, my son was born on the 14th day of the sixth month, June. His name is John also, he's a junior. Um, mm. So I Googled at a red light, a way truth life Bible. And Google came back with John chapter 14, verse six. My son's uh, name, uh, birth month and birthday. And I started mm. crying in the car and I went to put the phone down because the light turned green. So all within the five seconds of seeing that and then putting the phone down, light turning green, the radio, the very verse on the radio was sweet child of mine. So I was kind of freaked out. And I like, you know, somebody's trying to send me a sign. So I went to law school. Within two weeks, I was in law school. So at 56, I did a year of law school. So it helped me with my case and it helped me with the next case. Um, I got thrown out of law school for not getting the vaccine. They took my money. They oh, my God. My I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. 
But yeah. I, I, but you so, you yeah. it, I knew you had to have some legal training. It didn't make any sense to me that you, that you did not. But so unless yeah, it's, well, uh, catch me if you can I did situation. The math thing. Yeah, get this: that the governor was so afraid of my case, he rescinded order thirty-one, reissued a new order fifty-five. You can look this up in Massachusetts. COVID order fifty-five. There's an exception in paragraph two B that specifically states nobody hearing impaired and no one speaking to anybody hearing impaired has to wear a mask. And by doing so, he took my wow. standing to sue him. So he, he made that wow. rule for the entire state just to get around my lawsuit. <laughs> you know, and I'm Crazy. nobody. I wasn't a lawyer at the time. You know, I, so it's been fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then they came up with a vaccine mandate. And now I have a lawsuit in federal court against well, I have, a, I have a state lawsuit as a contract violation against the school. I got an A in the contracts class, by the way. I have a 30-something year career. I say I'm an engineer, but I've never done design work. My career has been in sales and marketing of, uh, of mm. pretty large contracts. Software contracts, there's no cost of goods sold. You know, you're just selling. Um, basically, everything is profit when you, when you do a deal. It's equivalent to doing like $200 million deals for hardware. So that's the kind of level of, of selling, uh, selling to billion dollar CEOs and, and um, CTOs and CFOs. And from that, I was trained. They spent 40 grand training. me. It was more than an MBA at the time. I uh, learned about behavior, psychology. Uh, I, call, I call it manipulation. It's a, it has a negative connotation. But what you're doing is trying to manipulate somebody around what you want them to the, buy. The, 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 um, the more... Uh, palatable term is called persuasion you're trying to persuade yeah. people <laughs> that's it's a, you can you can there are three terms that are actually mean the same thing fourth things hypnosis brainwashing persuasion manipulate they're all pretty much the same thing but hey i have a question somebody on the rumble page asked something interesting uh, a lot of the pictures of florence nightingale show her wearing a mask she was in what the crimean war 18 19th century is that just a 20th century rendition of her, or was she actually wearing a mask back in the 19th century? I, I have no idea. I, I, okay, that's beyond enough. me. That was not part just, of my just, research. I figured, yeah. figured you were reading a lot of history on masks. So, okay, keep going. So, so you had this incredible sort of almost spiritual moment at the at the stoplight. What happened then? Yeah. Um, they threw me out of the school <clears throat> before I went a day to that school. I, I looked at their, um, whatever thing they had written in, in their, uh, application. I said, I wrote him to the director of admissions. It says here, I'm going to have to get a vaccine when it's available. Uh, I'm not going to get a vaccine. I I'm deaf in one ear, um, from getting a vaccine. I've had a DVT in my leg. I've had tinnitus, vertigo. Um, there's one other thing. I, oh, uh, I forget, but one other thing. Anyway, mm. he wrote back to me and he said, don't worry, you're over 30 years old. You don't have to get a vaccine and nobody's going to ask you if you've ever had one. And then mm. nine months later, they make a rule and they broke the contract. It's, it's written and it incorporates into the contract. So I've got them, I think, uh, dead to rights in a contract violation. But what I sued the, the government on, uh, the, the governor, the commissioner of public health, the chief medical examiner and four individual medical examiners. My original complaint was mostly fraud charges with also deprivation of rights, uh, civil action for deprivation of rights. I've since amended it. I've removed all the federal felonies about fraud and I'm going with just um, the civil action for deprivation of rights. It's a lot easier and cleaner. 
Um, and I don't have to justify a, a private right of action where citizens can't really use criminal laws uh, to, to try to uh, win a, a civil case. Um, it, it has to be at least implied within the statute. So uh, back to center here, <clears throat> that's still open. They've done their motion to dismiss. I've done my opposition memorandum. And um, here we are 10 months later, and it still hasn't been dismissed. Uh, there is mm. plenty of fraud to go around. Exhibit F is 123 pages long of hard evidence uh, where they, they, um, they wrote acute fentanyl intoxication deaths as COVID deaths. Uh, so basically fentanyl overdoses were COVID deaths. Blunt force trauma to the head, blunt force trauma to the torso. There are people who reacted to the vaccine within five minutes, some within hours. They were dead within either hours or days. Uh, they don't mention the vaccine at all. And they say they died of COVID on some of them. So they're telling you a seven-year-old little girl died from co complications of coronavirus 19 viral infection is the exact quote, when in reality, she reacted within five minutes to the vaccine. Mm. So, uh, yeah, and all kinds of data. Um, people say I'm the data guy. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just wondering where else you've been pushing out this information and, and how people respond to it. Is it the usual cancellation from people that claim God knows what kind of authority over the, over the information or, or what, how are you, how is it being received? I, I'm in a different position than <clears throat> all the people who cite research papers. What I have is irrefutable facts from a database from the state government. And the way I've analyzed them um, is different than the way anybody else has done it. So I have been around Dr. Drew. Uh, I've done about 30 different podcasts, small market podcasts. Uh, I've, I've uh, you know, one of my Twitter threads, I just checked on it. I was surprised it's up to 160,000 views. Um, it, it's not bad. That's the one on remdesivir and acute renal failure. The strokes and neurological mm -hmm. problem presentation, that was up to 65,000 last time I checked on it three months ago. So I'm getting out there on Twitter, um, but I'd like to really reach people who are you know, sitting on the fence wondering who's right. These guys have papers and these guys have papers and everybody's dueling papers. I'm not dueling papers. I'm dealing with facts. And it's, there's a term in law, I'll just use it as a, a regular term, race ipsa locator. And that is the thing. The facts, the facts the speak for themselves. Exactly. The facts speak exactly. for themselves. So, yeah. Somebody takes a vaccine and dies in front of you. Do you need somebody to write a research paper on it? Uh, how about 10 of them? How about 20? How about 100? People die from the vaccine within a couple hours. Do you really need somebody to write a research paper to tell you what it was? Have you reached so, out to any of the families of, of people who've had those sort of catastrophic events? Where are they? It seems like they've been awfully quiet through this whole thing. It's one thing when we have the people that are vaccine injured being marginalized and pushed away. They, they, they don't have the energy for it. But the families of people who died, I, we have the one case. Um, shoot, Sean, the the Sean's father is you know uh, it's uh, something called like justice for Sean, if I remember right, and he is making a lot of noise. But he's the only one I've come across. Have you been reached out to anybody? Well, there, there's Ernesto, and there's a number of others. But in terms of the ones I have here in Massachusetts, I did reach out to two. Um, one relative of one said, okay, he'll talk to you now. It's been enough months. But then there was no response. I, Dr. Drew, I've been in that position. I can't, bl I can't I blame them at all. I didn't want to talk to anybody. No, I, I mean, understand. I, uh, 
I, I totally know? get it. I, I completely understand. I, I listen, that, that is not a mystery to me. I totally, completely understand that. However, let me just sort of frame it this way. When people have, much the way you're trying to make a difference right now, when people have these catastrophic events, they often deal with it by finding ways to make a difference uh, uh, on behalf of the loss. So the loss is not in vain. And with something like this, where other kids might be might be being injured, I would think they would want to come forward to prevent other families from experiencing anything like that. So it's a bit of a different deal, uh, even though I completely understand if they if they don't want to. Yeah, I I I don't know what to say to that. I I'm not. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm doing everything yeah. I can to spread so, the word. And what what what? I mean, I'm so. Um, well, let, let's step back a little bit, and I want you to give us some of your new data. But I also want you first to sort of frame what you've learned. How how would you care? How would you frame it? What's the what's the the sort of conclusion that you're this. you're coming to? Yeah, yeah. So, just so you know, like I said, I've done um, about thirty different podcasts, but I've also done a lot of live presentations uh, for CHD uh, Children's Health Defense. The local chapters in couple I've spoken at the state house, um, so I've been around doing these. A lot of it's in my head, so you can ask me anything. Now, how do I sum this up? If we don't talk about the individuals, which resonate really well with with people, okay. The the first quarter of my book uh, is about people, and then I get into the data in the third quarter of my book. But if you want to talk about the data, summing it up. The symptom spectrum profile. Oh, there's my book. Thank you very much. Um, the yep. symptom spectrum yep. profile of excess deaths changed in from 2020 was respiratory. So those are J codes in ICD-10 codes. You have your ARDS, COPD, but mostly you got a lot of pneumonia. So like a J189, uh, we can talk about that in a minute. It's like all the dot nines are when the uh, medical examiner or doctor is just kind of lazy because that's unspecified in most cases. So this is like J18.123, but the, the dot nines are used uh, more often than not. Now, the J codes were higher in, uh, in excess in the 2020 year. And in the 2021 year, it switched over. It switched over from J codes respiratory to I-codes circulatory and D-codes blood. And when I say I-codes circulatory, that includes the heart and anything, uh, all the veins and, and lymphatic vessels associated with it. And the, the D-codes would be like uh, thrombocytopenia, acute post-hemorrhagic anemia. <clears throat> some, of, some of the veins and lymphatic vessels are under the D-codes um, because there's something wrong with the immune mechanism. So there's those. So the D-codes went up and the I codes went up while COVID went down, while pneumonia went down, while all-cause deaths went down. So the symptom spectrum profile, I call it, as you look at a graph and, and you look at like what's happening with, with all the codes, you've got, um, what's this? Oh, the D codes, okay, graph, if people are seeing it now. Um, yeah. Th this is adjusted for all-cause deaths. So this is in a percentage. Don't worry about the percentages. Just look at the shape of the graph. 2020 was a huge year in Massachusetts with about 8,800 excess deaths in only nine weeks. So the pandemic itself was only nine weeks. 
I can I can show stuff. <laughs> when people see my graphs, they're just shocked. Um, Massachusetts drove the pandemic along with New York and New Jersey as the top three in the world in deaths per million for the entire first year. Like, oh boy, those states are doing great. Yeah, Massachusetts was the model in response. We're such a model in response. We were the third worst in the entire world in COVID deaths per population, all due to those nine weeks in uh, Massachusetts. Now, those were uh, COVID associated with pneumonia. And then all of a sudden on a year boundary, it changes. What you're looking at here is the decodes. These are blood. Uh, it says right there, certain immune mechanism involving uh, uh, blood forming organs and the blood itself. So uh, all the, anything ending with emia. And if, if you looked at this of just numbers, 2020 would also be high, not as high as 21, but that's because of the greater excess deaths. If, if you adjust for all cause, it, it goes away. The signal goes away. And now this is how many people are affected as a percentage of overall death. And you see 21 and 22 are just crazy high. It's just, uh, there's, there's no, there's no disputing this. And when I go into individual codes, so, not so just let me, decode. let me, let's leave this up for a second. Let's leave it up for a second before you go individual codes. Afraid I'm going to sneeze here. Excuse me a second. time I get in here. Um, but uh, so I, I want to make sure I heard what you said. So all cause mortality was down in 2021 relative to 2020. And the majority of 2020 oh. was a essentially three month, two or three month period when J codes were the predominant cause of death. Okay. And when what you said, when you adjust for the reduced number of deaths per year, the signal goes away. It's only when you look at it as a percentage of deaths. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. Just small nuances. Okay. I just want to make sure I correct. Um, well, I'm but it's actually that... important. It's important. It's important. I just think it's important that that data be. You know, we discuss it as it as it is. So, so now now as a you know living through that period and treating a lot of people in that in that 2021 era. There was a lot of COVID-related and post-COVID-related vascular events. At least we thought so. And, and then it got to be difficult to tell what was COVID and what was the vaccine because everyone was getting vaccinated. Did you have a way of sorting those things out? Uh, I can sort by individual codes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the, here's the problem. Okay, Dr. here we go. So here we go. Some yeah. of the, the nine weeks in, in Boston, you can't figure out what happened and no one will ever be able to figure out what happened. I interviewed a medical examiner for three and a half hours, reviewed hundreds of death, death certificates with, with him. Uh, I'll say him or her. I'll switch off because I don't want anybody to know who it was. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and I, know, I know what happened. They, they didn't show up to work because they were afraid of COVID. And so what they did was they called the, the old folks home. They said, what happened? Well, she was 95. She was coughing and she died. Okay, that's a COVID death. Uh, maybe throw pneumonia on there too. They didn't do blood labs. They didn't do yes. tissue samples. They didn't do imaging. They didn't yes. do their jobs. I'm sure that happened. I'm sure that happened. I'm sure of it. But so but, we'll but that's know. different than I'm. I'm. I, but but now I want to go back to the post-COVID era, really, which is sort of what's going on there and the the sequelae of COVID. Was there a way to? Would they put? You know, there there are codes. I think it's U O O. Point nine or something. There's a post-COVID code, but of course they didn't create that code until 2022 or so, did they? 
Uh, correct, but I, I've never seen the code. So, um, yeah, they didn't. I've they used didn't, it. They I've used it. I've used it, but I've oh, never really? used it on a death certificate. Yeah. Yeah. Now, here, the, the major problem that we have is um, you have how many people, scientists looking at, they're looking at Pfizer data from three years ago. Why? You yeah. know, we have, we have a, a 300 million people in the country, probably 200 million of whom have been vaccinated. We have the records. We have yeah. the immunization registry. Every state has the records. All you have to do is give me one week. I'll write the code to correlate the two databases. Anybody can do this, or anybody who can write some code uh, can do this. I've, I've offered it to Joe Latipo and uh, Ron DeSantis through, um, I'll just say, six big-named people. Um, they've been, they, they know the offer was made for a pro bono public health audit of data. And all you got to do is correlate the two databases, look at how many people died within 24 hours, three days, one week, three weeks, and you're done. You'll find a thousand deaths from the vaccine. Do me a favor. So do, do, send me, uh, at the end of this, I'm going to give you my email address. Send. I want to email with a quick paragraph on what you're willing to do. Let me make sure that Latip, doesn't sound like him not to respond to something like that. So let me make sure it goes directly to him, okay? Um, Absolutely. So let's, let's, yeah, remember to do that because yeah. that's a that's a perfect place to start, right? I mean, also you might want to. There are some other places like North Dakota and South Dakota, and there you know, there's places where people yeah. are worried about these they're things and thinking small. about it. And we might they're too small. They're Dr. small, Drew. but they're you put them small. together, we might get something, right? And they that's do true. tend to correlate. They do tend to you know. You know, and, and the Dakotas and Wyoming, and they all tend to pool their data. That just they have the medical schools all in one place, and it's all one thing. Idaho, it's Idaho, the Dakotas, and Wyoming. I think are all one deal, and they might be well interested in this kind of thing too. And so that's another, again, good reason for me to have your letter if I can get it through to the governors of these people. Absolutely, these uh, I'll, I'll definitely do that. So yeah. what what Latipo ended up doing is uh, commissioning the University of Florida for a study on the effects on the heart from the vaccine. It's going to take six months to a year. Mm. I could end this in a week with any data pool that's 3 million population, not 3 million death certificates. So if the state has 3 million population, you know, there's, there's enough death certificates there to, to find stuff. Um, and I don't mean to... And, and why that number? Uh, just curious. What, why 3 million threshold, just, threshold for, for I, uh, I, I found that the... Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's easier to find signals when the... Massachusetts has 7 million people and we got Vermont. Uh, a great guy in New York City got Vermont, um, and it was just more difficult to find signals because it, there were so few. So especially when you get to the younger ages, so few kids are dying, you you can't make a signal yeah. out of it. You have to in inspect every record, yeah. and there's that everybody should be inspecting every record of the children because it's easy. There's only twenty. You know, when I went to look for the seven uh, seven year old girl, there were only four I had to look at, and only one of them kind of matched in time. And everything perfectly matched so i knew it was her that was it but and, um, and how yeah, did the, you how, how did what did you find in terms of pre-existing conditions <laughs> and the like in the kids that were dying of covid oh uh kids that were dying from covid well nobody really died from covid in 2020 it, it, it they they started dying from covid after they started vaccinating um there really weren't any. Now there's about seven. Uh, Kirsch called me a couple days ago and asked me to look it up, and I, I sent him the list. And uh, I think it was seven kids in 2022. Uh, seven 
seven kids between ages one and 17 died in 2022. And when we started looking through him, you, you can't tell if it's a vax death or um, or a COVID death, especially if they're dying is that from pulmonary embolism. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, pulmonary embolism is the one thing that has gone under the radar. I swear, I'm, I'm convinced that is more the vaccine uh than than covid but it is out there and it's happening a lot the covid during acute covid we saw pulmonary embolism it was happening during acute covid but post covid it um, makes no sense to me what, whatsoever now there was a director of the pediatric icu at uh, i think it, it was a uh, mass general was saying i'm so sick and tired of seeing kids die in our icu it's happening all the time come in here and see all these deaths and i thought i i can't believe that's true it, do you, so you you have actually the data that that's not true, number one. And number two, I just realized that the pediatric world's tolerance for death is totally different than the rest of medicine. It just seems to be a completely different diathesis. It's like one death in a state, vaccinate the whole state. That seems to be the, kind of the, the, the ethic behind it. A am I right there? Well, uh, I think he would have been, uh, but for COVID coming along and, and kind of switching that because now they're covering up vaccine deaths. They know damn well uh, these kids died from COVID. You get an 11-year-old boy who gets a booster, and then he has chest pains, trouble breathing, goes to Children's Hospital, and uh, they put him on a ventilator because they get a lot of money. You know, um, Thomas Sowell and Milton Friedman both said, if you subsidize something, you get more of it. So he died on the ventilator at 11 years old, and uh, they donated his heart. When they pulled it out of his chest, it was full of clots. You don't see that in the news. You have to talk to a family member. You know, the, everything's being I'm getting, covered I'm up. I'm getting uh, uh, gradually more sick to my stomach the more the more we are talking here. Let, let's let's well, do this. Um, you know, I, I want to break down some of the data. We have a couple more graphs I want to go over. I want to see some hear some of your newer observations. I uh, got to take a little break, do some business. Um, follow John at John. Now he spells the name B E A U D O I N, sort of like Bowden, but more of a you know, close to Bowden. Uh, but it's, it's pronounced Baudwin, uh, and it's John Bowden Baudwin Senior S R J O H N B E A U D O I N S R. All right, back with more of John Bowden after this. I want to share with you a teeth whitening system that goes beyond merely enhancing your smile. Primal Life Organics Real White Teeth Whitening System offers convenience and rapid results without harsh chemicals. Light, blue light for whitening, red light for gum and oral hygiene, and you can just do both if you wish. It works naturally, promoting gum healing, tooth remineralization, gives you a brighter and a healthier smile. Again, no peroxide involved. Consistent usage yields remarkable results. Take this opportunity to transform your smile and at the same time, optimize your oral health. Aim for five times a week for the best outcomes. Discover more about this remarkable teeth whitening system and other products at drdrew.com primal today. That again is drdrew.com P-R-I-M-A-L. Be sure to use that link for 60% off drdrew.com slash p-r-i-m-a-l do it today for 60 percent off i suspect you've seen susan and i gushing over paleo valley products we love the taste and how well they fit into a paleo-based nutrition regimen they're delicious and we use them for travel all the time 
but there is more. We are huge fans as well of Paleo Valley's grass-fed bone broth protein. It comes in three flavors, unflavored, vanilla and chocolate. It's a powder you can add to really anything. We add it to coffee literally every day. Smoothies, baked dishes, just hot water dissolves really easily. The bone broth protein is made with 100% grass-fed and finished bones that are free from pesticides or antibiotics and are slow simmered to extract as much collagen as possible. As we age, collagen breaks down. That's what wrinkles are. And research shows that there are significant benefits to adding a collagen source in your diet. I don't think it's too much to say. It's changed our lives. And Susan is now reporting that after drinking the bone broth for a few weeks, her hair is stronger and longer and nails are stronger too. Try it for yourself. You can order at drdrew.com slash paleovalley and use Dr. Drew at checkout to save an additional 15%. A lot of you have been asking for more information about how to counter the adverse effects of the spike protein from COVID infections and the COVID vaccine. The spike protein is not your friend. Let's just say that. So I'm glad we have the wellness company Spike Support Formula as a sponsor, especially since renowned internist and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough, who's also chief scientific officer of the wellness company, is one of its champions. There's some very intriguing research around natokinase, which might be a way to take on the spike protein. Listen to this. So start, if you would, with talking about natokinase, how you got to that and where you see its application. So with the viral infection or the vaccines, the spike protein stays within the body and it's found in the heart, the brain, the vital organs, and it's causing problems. The Japanese have been using this for heart and vascular disease now for 20 years. It's safe. It is a form of a mild blood thinner that it dissolves the spike protein nearly completely. Spike support formula is the only product on the market containing natokinase, dandelion root, and a host of other antioxidants all showing promise in helping you protect yourself and your family. To order this unique, specially formulated supplement, go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is drdrew.com slash TWC. Use code DREW at checkout for 10% off today. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, Our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times, gold. And you can own it in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just visit birchgold.com drew for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. I do not give financial advice, and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew to get your free info kit on gold. That is B-I-R-C-H-G-O-L-D dot com slash D-R-E-W. And we are back with John Bodwin. I have, I have to I have to catch myself from, I've said Bowden for so many damn years. Um, and you're from New England, what makes it worse? I, I So I'm sure I'm not the only person to do that. But uh, I got to tell you, I am on Amazon trying to buy your book. I can't find it. Is there a is there yeah, some it's reason? It's not going to be out for eight weeks. It's not going to be out for eight about no. eight weeks. I'm, I'm just yeah. We got to get it I, on I the pre. That. We got to get we got to get on the pre order schedule. Come on now. 
Yeah, well, do I self-publish or go to a big publisher? I, I have to make a call to somebody and try to take this off my plate because I'm working on the second one. Mm. Um, the second one is the real CDC does Minnesota. We have the Minnesota data and, um, and, it's, and it's bad. And that's the new data, right? That's the new stuff yeah, you've got? It's, there, there's a, a, a wonderful woman in Minnesota who got the data and um, shared it with, with, a, with some of us. We have a small group, kind of a loose group. Um, and we have a plan uh, for, for researchers to be able to access this data. The um, If you don't mind, I, I want to get to a couple of important things because I'm looking at the clock here. Please, um, by all means, by all means. People don't understand how this could have happened and how everybody could have been quiet. Now, I, I told you I have an MBA, but my career was in, like I said, manipulating persuasion. Okay. Uh, I've studied <laughs> people and been trained on it. And the the CARES Act is, and it's called an inchoate crime solicitation, uh, like conspiracy. They're a crime, an, an attempt. Those are crimes that you don't actually do, but you conspire to, to be part of. <clears throat> the CARES Act is solicitation of fraud. That's what it is. They, they wrote it in 2018. How do doctors and how do hospital administrators, how are all these people going along with something that's really bad? Well, they don't think it's really bad. They're doing kind of what they were told to do. Um, and if, if you want more people to be put on ventilators, like I said, subsidize it. The same thing with COVID deaths. If you want more COVID deaths to be filled out as COVID deaths, subsidize it. So they did. And they got more. They know the intent that, that they put that through. Now, also, why are people not winning uh, law cases? You know about the, the PREP Act and the liability shield. But what people don't understand is that our society is, is built on an economic system of tort law. And at the intersection of law and economics, which most lawyers really don't even understand, the law professor had me do a video. I, I have a video on, on YouTube right now still. If you type in the hand formula, there was a judge called Learned Hand. And um, he came up with a hand formula, burden of precautions, if it's if it's less than the probability a uh, negative externality will occur uh, times the liability, then you should have put the the handrail in. Like if handrail is two thousand dollars, and is a five percent chance somebody's going to fall off it, and it, it'll cost them a hundred thousand dollars in um, medical expenses. Two thousand is less than five thousand. You're guilty. You're now responsible for that. Um, and so that. Burden of precautions is very important because if you drive liability to zero, which is what they did with the liability shield in the PrEP Act for the vaccines, what you have is opportunism and shirking by the manufacturers. And you've, you've shifted the burden of precautions from the least cost avoider, which is the manufacturer, to the most cost avoider, which is the people. But it doesn't manifest in pecuniary or financial terms for the manufacturer or for the, for the negative externality. In people, it manifests in death and maim. And so in any economic system, when the market mechanism is broken, which is what they did with the liability shield, then you, you have uh, the whole thing's crazy. And, that's, and the behaviors that, that flow from the, the, uh, the CARES Act and the PREP Act, uh, those behaviors are natural, natural human behaviors. The, the, the basis of economic theory is the rationality principle. People act in their own self-interest. And then we get into a moral discussion, which I won't do right now because it's too long. But I just I just wanted to talk about law and economics because that's that's the crux of everything that's happened in, in in every court case, especially in courts of equity, which are not courts of law. You have a balance of the uh, individual liberties versus the public interest, and the judges have always sided with the government in the public interest, whereas 
there's 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 no public interest value to these vaccines. So thank you for letting me go on for a little bit. Okay, but I feel like that is a diathesis that evolved late in 21 and 22. I think that's correct. But there was already crazy behavior going on in 20 for sure and in 21. And that was, you know, there was one distorted um uh, I guess you're calling them subsidies, or, 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 which was this paying hospitals for a COVID diagnosis. But I remember at the time, the conceit was, we have to keep hospitals open. That's all they're allowing in their doors is COVID cases. In order to stay open, we have to pay them more. Yeah, we have to pay them more, and we have to pay them for sure for a COVID diagnosis. Now, because everything was so false during that period of history, was that also a falsity? Was that also a persuasion of some sort for some reason? I, I have to think so. There, the, in the first year, there were a number of things that happened. Um, if you were to break down the pneumonia codes by uh, J15 bacterial, uh, J12 viral, and then under bacterial, it would be J15 dot, you know, whether it's Staphylococcus, Streptococcus, or another bacterium. There are individual codes for it. The, um, the viral is the same pattern as the unspecified, which is the biggest category. It's also the same pattern as COVID and the same pattern as all cause. Bacterial didn't go down. Bacterial stayed flat. So from 2020 to 2021 to 2022, it went down, down all those other codes, but bacterial is straight across. They, the, uh, the site from CDC and NIH, there is no mention of the word antibiotic. It's not there in the entire site. Mm. Um, I believe that a lot of people got killed because they refused to give them an antibiotics. I, I really believe that. That's, that's part of it. The other part is people didn't show up at old, old folks' homes, the elder care homes. And what happened was they... Um, if you're 94 years old and somebody doesn't get you up to walk down the hall twice a day, you don't bear weight on your legs, you're going to get DVTs. You're going to throw to PEs. Yes, yes, your, your lungs yes. I mean, look, the, the lack of care of sick patient was the astonishing, <laughs> astonishing outcome of the hysteria. My question has always been, where did this hysteria come from? Who is responsible for it? Why was it so out of hand? It just was, I mean, I've sort of been putting the pieces together on how it happened, and I think I kind of understand it. But the magnitude of this hysteria and that it was handed down from on high without any questioning and any dissent was dealt with for, voraciously. I've never seen anything like that. That What was that? Where did that come from? Why, why don't we get some lawsuits directed at whatever that was? Yeah, I, I have a chapter on just about everything we're discussing. Now, you, you want to get into EBM and the, the paper in the early 90s that came out of Canada that drove every medical school to adopt EBM. Uh, now, I'm, I'm 59. You look a little younger than I am, but still, you're, you're not 40 years old. I'm Anybody older. under... Okay, well, you're in California, so you don't have the harsh winters of Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went to New I went to college in New England. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, four years. What was it? Uh, Amherst. Did it's you the Genucel. Yes, yes. That's why bow, <laughs> bones in my head. All the small schools are in my head. Bone broth. 
Right. So, so, so there you go. Um, EDM indoctrinated everybody to bow to the central authority. And again, as an economic system, you lose people at the margins if, whenever you centralize, whether it's a, an electronic system, a mechanical system, or an economic system. So what happened is they get all these people indoctrinated. They could not have done this, uh, Dr. Drew, 10 years ago because the older doctors would not have put up with it. They, would, they wouldn't they no, would have put up with it. Right. I, I know it. That's and, right. And these people have aged out. Well, but, but remember, there were, it's not just that they were older. That, now, by the way, I've had many discussions, several discussions with uh, physicians from my vintage, and they look at me, they just go, you know, these younger physicians have a different relationship with infectious disease. And we all cut our teeth on the AIDS pandemic. We were up to our elbows in a, in a, a disease with 100% fatality. And that's how we approach infectious disease now. But the, what was I going to say about this? Oh, it, it's not just, um, ah, damn, I forgot my point. I, I was going to say something like it's not just that they haven't seen very, very, oh, it's not just that, that, that uh, the older guys are used to being, and gals are used to being independent and have seen much more serious infectious diseases, including H, you know, H1N1 and other ones that we've sort of watched and did nothing in terms of the national scale of, of uh, response. We just let it happen and people were warned and doctors were aware. 300,000 people died and that was that. And more young people than old people as opposed to COVID, which is almost all you old people. But the point is not just we had seen things differently across our careers, we were not employees. 60% of younger physicians are employees, and they just did what their employer told them. That's, that's, that is the issue. I, I don't think that's young versus old. I think that's employed versus independent. I, I have that exact thing in my book. I, the chapter is actually yeah, called right. EBM and Dr. Backer, who was my doctor. When we used to go to the doctor, there was like one or two or maybe up to 10 doctors in an office. And, and they, yeah. if somebody didn't know what was going on, you'd say, I'm going to bring the older doctor in. Do you mind? Oh, yeah, no problem. Bring him in. And he'd say, oh, you don't understand the water supply around here. There's too much iron or calcium. And you don't understand the genetics. Yeah. The Portuguese can't eat this kind of fish, you know. But you don't have that now. You have what I call the, the, uh, the laptop god on the wheelie table, right? Yep. The, the doctor, yep. you now they type yep. in your stuff in the little laptop on the little wheelie table. And uh, the, the laptop tells them what to do. And if they don't do it, now they put their career at risk. Because they didn't follow yeah. the the, uh, the the papers. Now EBM flipped the scientific method on its head. They now have a derogation of the term uh, case that they call an anecdote, and they've derogated it. They they speak about it derogatorily, as if it's bad. It's an anecdote is a case. The the patient in front of you is the best evidence you have of what's going on. Not these papers from some study, you know, halfway around the world from different genetics and different locations and foods. And it, it's yeah. everything's and so upside down. So that is the other thing. That's the other thing I've noticed, which is that the, the focus on publication as opposed to clinical impression of practitioners is completely flipped. I mean, we've always, you know, the, 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 the medical literature is only a recapitulation of our clinical instincts, our clinical impressions. And if, it, if we're really off, we'll, the literature will sort of sh shine a light on where we're off and it will be reproducibly set up again and again and again. And that's fine. But there are things like the Women's Health Initiative where you know they told us to take all women off hormones forever and we're a witch doctor if we should ever do anything different than that. Turned out to be completely wrong. Uh, the opioids and you know pain is the fifth vital sign and if you allow any human to ever experience anything like pain, you are a cruel, abusive, horrible practitioner. 
terrible standard of care killed God knows how many people. And now we're into the millions, frankly, of deaths related to that one. So these things have... I, I, we're not learning from these things. We, it's something crazy happening where we're just, we are, I, I, I don't know what to do with this. I, I'm just so upset about it. it it's it's a, something I've been railing against my entire career. And now this, and maybe the legal system is the, the way to respond to it. What do you think? Oh, it's, it's a combination. I mean, nothing happens, whether it's legal, uh, statutory, um, the, the legislative, executive, they all, they all sway with public opinion. So it's all about public, public opinion. Um, people have to lose their faith and trust in government in order to open their minds to the possibility the government harmed them. Now, whether it was on purpose almost doesn't matter. Uh, the, the, whether they're reckless or purposeful or knowing or negligent, I don't care. They killed a million people. People have no idea the numbers that are being killed. In remdesivir, excuse me, I don't know that it's remdesivir. In acute renal failure alone, Minnesota, Vermont, and Massachusetts all show the same rise, which is a hundred percent increase, a hundred percent in acute renal failure, and that that it's huge. Why is it happening? I mean, we know that remdesivir causes that. We know that remdesivir approved in its last EUA in October twenty second, twenty twenty, and that the curves all started up in the middle of November. They shot right up in a forty five degree angle. It's it's crazy hey, that nobody's looking data. into it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, I just, I just sent uh, the the uh, Minnesota memorandum. It's posted on Twitter in a thread, every page of it, and I put the governor, lieutenant governor, um, the, uh, the what do you call it, the Department of Health head, and the attorney general. They're all on notice. They they now know of this, and they can't hide from it. If they don't investigate, they have a legal duty to investigate that. And if they don't, they'll they're willfully ignoring what is harming their populace to the tune of 1,600 excess acute renal failure deaths in the last two years. So it, it's, a, it's a good document. It's, it's a, just a memor an open memorandum to them. I, I mailed it certified letter. I did the same thing with Vermont. And I have, uh, I have Massachusetts in, in the federal court. Um, we'll see what happens. It'll be dismissed. It's too big. My evidence is too... 123 pages of hard evidence. It's too big. I don't see how they can let it go through. It'll be the biggest thing. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Um, you know, the judges get calls and they're told to dismiss cases based on we can't we can't deal with this. If if my case goes through and I get to discovery, it brings down the government. It brings it it shows that that they covered up all these deaths. They drove the fraud. Uh, one of my chapters is fraud of omission. The other is fraud of commission. The the fraud of omission of vaccine deaths. I can show tons of them. I mean, I have the death certificates. I have the various reports correlated. Sarah Bellard, tonsillar and bilateral uncle herniation in a 12-year-old girl who had a stroke in the same month that she had her vaccine. You know, both the VAERS report and the death certificate have the exact same phraseology. There's no question it, it is she. Um, and then you know, I could talk about others and, and the even brief reports like Harvard Medical College, uh, six doctors, from Harvard Medical College, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, they wrote a six-page report about Brianna, who was 30 years old. She had symptoms within hours of her Moderna vaccine, okay? And then she went to the ER, went again, and then they brought her there the third time because she didn't recognize her sister. And she ended up dying from an ischemic stroke. She was brain dead in a couple of days. They took her off life support in two weeks. Her death certificate says she died as a root cause of COVID. She had COVID four months earlier, asymptomatically, just a positive test. 
She reacted immediately from the vaccine. It's not on the death certificate. She had COVID four months earlier asymptomatically. They put COVID on the death certificate. They know it's wrong. The, the title, Dr. Drew, the title of this brief report is Fatal Post-COVID MRNA Vaccine-Associated Cerebral Ischemia. They're telling you in the title that the vaccine killed her by stroke. And then in the, in the beginning paragraph, we have several reports, uh, reports of several vaccines causing strokes. And then another one, we have uh, a number of reports with CVSTs, although this is not a CVST for the audience, that's a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, another type of stroke. Um, and we see these frequently with thrombocytopenia, or no, where thrombocytopenia is frequent. So you've got thrombocytopenia is frequent at, at, with the CVST. Um, and they say CVSTs are associated with it. There's a number of reports, the number of case reports. You know what they write in the summary? It's extremely rare. They write it's extremely rare. Oh, it's so extremely rare that Diane died two weeks before Brianna got her injection from acute intracranial hemorrhage in the setting of thrombocytopenia. And five weeks later, 17-year-old Eden died from a CVST. She went to the doctor twice for a headache right after she got it. When her headache resolved, they gave her the second shot. She died of a stroke. So if it's so rare, yeah. and, and how come to be, the strange the thing, the strange <clears throat> thing is that that was more associated with the J and J vaccine. And can Caleb maybe throw up my uh, picture? I'll show John. Uh, but I know it was associated more with. I'm not saying it factually was more so, but but appropriate. There's there's my. I swear CBSD. I didn't do it. I I woke up with that the morning after my vaccine, and I looked at him which, and I go, "Do you have eyeliner on?" <laughs> which is the presenting symptom of CVSD. So there you go. I probably, I didn't go and check if I had thrombocytopenia. I didn't want to know. I just figured it's going to be what it's going to be. And it, it's, yeah, I got lucky. Exactly. And yeah, that was yeah. a J and J vaccine. No, it, and appropriately, they took that off the market. That was the appropriate thing to do. But it wasn't just the J and J. I want to make that clear. It, it's, it's across I understand. the board. I understand. I understand. And so that's the part that's being sort of obfuscated here. And uh, well, so where do we go from here? What, what is what do you want to do we go more data that makes my stomach hurt? Or do we talk more about what can be done about this or, or how to push the data out or create awareness? By the way, I wish you'd send me that paper from Beth Israel. Uh, I would like to tweet that out if possible. Oh, yeah, I'll make a note of that. It's, okay. uh, it's all over my what, feet, what's all right. So, so, so what, what's next? I mean, what do we, uh, what do we do? Um, or is there more to be revealed in this conversation? Even I, I feel like we've gotten deep enough into, to create alarm. So we're, I guess we're not up against the clock. I, I was, I was thinking we were up against the hard stop. And so I was kind of talking fast and stuff. Um, yeah, I have a few different solutions I propose. One is IMEF. Um, I had talked to uh, a guy out at Stanford. You know the name. I don't want to commit him to anything, but he said, yeah, I'd be up for that. And a, and a bunch of other big names. I, you probably don't know. A lot of the big name guys know me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm known in certain circles. Um, and I call it the IMEF, International Medical Ethics Forum. We need to get the... Now, People don't understand, you've got the Massachusetts Medical Society that's been around since the, the late 1700s. They own the New England Journal of Medicine, the, the premier, the best uh, supposedly you know, medical journal. <clears throat> Bill Gates comes by in 2018, drops off $12 million. What does it buy him? 
what does it buy them? It buys them censorship of anything against the vaccine and promotion of anything for the vaccine. Um, these, and then you've got the medical boards, the American Board of Internal Medicine, American Board of Family Medicine, American Board of Pediatrics, the three CEOs have a published, published letter. It's probably still on the web today. You can go to uh, abim.whatever. Um, you, just, you just Google it, American Board of Internal Medicine, and look for that open letter. It says if any doctors um, spread vaccine misinformation, they'll have their, their uh, certification suspended or revoked. And then they also mention licensing, which is really done by the states, but they have influence on that. They threatened and coerced every doctor in the United States. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, oh, boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's not addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. The doctors know. I've spoken to doctors personally. They, they, I know one uh, particular doctor who injected over 1,000 people knowing that it's bad and they don't even want to live in Massachusetts anymore. Um, so how do you fix it? Well, we got to get the, the, the government out from in between the doctor and the patient. And, and a reaffirmation of the Hippocratic Oath, Nuremberg Code, the Helsinki Papers, and then we add on a layer of the new electronic world that we have, um, how to do telemedicine. So you re reaffirm what we have for ethics. And anyway, I, I have I have it set to meet. What I would like to do is build up this to meet in the fall of 2025 at the site of the Bretton Woods Agreement. Um, and we'll call it the International mm -hmm. Medical Ethics Forum. We do it at Mount Washington Hotel in New Hampshire, have people fly in from around the world. And what comes out of it is a new set of ethics to keep the government out from in between the patient and the doctor. Um, and there's more. There's a lot more to it. A lot of details I, I haven't said, but that's what. It seems like you're going to have to create a pretty strong wind of public outrage to be able to create sort of the energy around this that you're looking for. It seems to me, because otherwise, you the the people that are still. Um, and let's think about it this way. So so I still vaccinate my elderly patients. It's been very, very helpful. 
I, I very complicated elderly patients. It's a people don't understand. It's a very different situation. I have you know on multiple medicines with delicate balances in those medication or anti-tuberculous medication where I can't use Paxlovid. I can't use can't even you can't use anything because they've had liver toxicity and they could they enhance that. You know, there's all kinds of situations medically that people are into when they're older, whether it's cancer, immunosuppression. I mean, you get older, you've got shit going on. And the vaccine did not seem to, no one seemed to have a significant reaction, and I didn't see any adverse outcome down the line. And it gave me a significant amount of um, security in making decisions about some of the things I was doing with these very complicated cases. In spite of that, I have no idea why the the uh, pediatric world and the CDC is pushing so hard on vaccinating young people. I just don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, so that's really where the risk-reward issue falls out of bed and where the data that you're showing has to be discussed in the light of day so people can make decisions about whether they should be taking a vaccine for a virus that doesn't do anything to them, while the vaccine, it appears, may be doing something to them. Uh, why can't we have that conversation and the fact that that is being obfuscated and withheld and the editorial process and the, by the way, the editorial process is, is, is shifting. The from the American Board of Internal Medicine, analysts of internal medicine has started asking good questions and showing articles asking real questions. It, it's a New England Journal even came up with a couple of things recently where I was like, okay, maybe they're finally willing to do what they've always done and show both sides uh, of an issue. In fact, the New England Journal is famous for showing you know two articles on you know every topic. You one one with a positive result, one with a negative result. Uh, and so it's this, it's the young people that this issue is really swirling around. And it has always been about the young people because one of the first things that the CDC prevented us from seeing was that this was a disease that affected the elderly. It was one of the first things that we were prevented from having access to. And the press was all in on all of this. So the question becomes, how do we get and this? And this is, and people are extremely defensive. Uh, both in the press and in their uh, in the medical world, where they have held these positions all along, to really begin to talk about this more meaningfully, and and by the way, attacking if you dare bring these things up for the you read the the open letter you mentioned, although I just tried to find it, I I can't find it online here, but it does don't we need to do something more? to create, to get the press starting to talk about this, to create a more of a public outrage around these issues. Yeah, everything comes down to public opinion, but I'll, I'll ask you a more of a technical question. Um, you understand that all the research papers and how to do studies and trials better than I do. Why do you think they did not ever do a study of lipid nanoparticles with a payload of water or saline? It was absolutely, I mean, any, any moron would know that you have to control for that. And they never did. And now they're making other mRNA well, vaccines <laughs> without just like producing, you know, mRNA. And they're going to do RSV and flu and chicken pox. And they're going to do all these things in RNA using the same transfection method using LNPs to try to mimic the outside of a cell to yes. slide it in there. And yeah. you've got, yeah. got antiphospholipid syndrome. You've got peg allergies. You're killing people 
to to a tune of you know whatever how many per per million or per hundred thousand uh, without even caring, and you don't even test to see well, if they have that allergy. Right, it's criminal. That's right. So so you know the answer, right? It was rushed to market. It was an emergency. I understand that. Maybe you know you can argue about was it worth the risk or not, but we, it's an emergency. We did something extreme. But we haven't gone back and done the necessary studies we would ordinarily do. That's the craziness. And they've just forged on. No, you're saying no to that. It no, I didn't say no. Sorry. I, I I'm like uh, itchy or something. But but the um <laughs> it's purposeful, it's intentional. This is high school biology. You get it's just a simple control. You know that they would have done it, just yeah. like they're they're not doing quality assurance and quality control. You know, my friend Kevin McKernan, who's a, a brilliant geneticist, he used to work, uh, run at the Human Genome Project at MIT. Now he's um, chief science officer at Medicinal Genomics. He got some of the vaccine. He's genetically sequenced it. I don't know if you've seen all the the, the furor over that since March when he did it or February. Um, he found all kinds of DNA contamination. You know that they make the mRNAs. Right. Yes. They make it as DNA. They strip off this. one side. Yeah. Okay. So. That's major. Now, in Look, some there, there are so many issues there, both on the liquid nanoparticle side and on the protein particle side, on the DNA particle <laughs> side, on the plasmid side, on the, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a myriad of issues there that people are worried about, talking about, but none of it seems to be going to the level of, and what, what happens at the regulatory level is, Three billion people are vaccinated. Everybody's fine. What's the big deal? It can't be that bad. That's sort of what They're happens to all these concerns. Yeah. They're purposely not investigating that, Dr. Drew. That That is, they, they because they have the liability shield, they don't care. They're shirking. And that's an economics right. term. Okay. They're using opportunism to right. make money and they're not keeping the people safe. The burden of precautions shifted and they don't care. And, and I believe it's even worse. I believe they know that if they did the studies, it would show a certain percentage of people having anaphylaxis just to the lipid nanoparticle itself. And then you've got you've got the CDC. I mean, is it incompetence that they wrote the pink book, which two nurses wrote, and they say, don't don't aspirate anymore and inject really fast because we want to reduce the discomfort of the needle in the arm. There might be needle wiggle. Okay. And they're saying, jam it in there and inject as fast as you can. Now, the percentage of time you hit a vein, doctors argue, nurses argue, um, but the reality is they do hit some. And if you take a, a venous injection, an IV injection of this stuff, it's going to eat a hole through your endothelium somewhere. Where is it going to go? I don't know. What vein do you hit and where is that going? You, you've got aortic arch uh, aneurysms occurring. Why? It's a fluid dynamics problem. You know, as the blood gets closer to the heart, it goes and stops and goes and stops, right? It doesn't flow because the heart's pumping. It's a pump. Mm -hmm. So it goes and stops. Yeah. And yeah. it ends up in a certain place around that arch. The, the lipid nanoparticles, whether they're less or more dense, they're going to end up transfecting a certain place. And I guarantee you, with all these aortic arch aneurysms that are occurring, they're probably occurring in the same spot because of fluid dynamics and the deposition of these nanoparticles. So I can go in any direction in conversation, whether it's economics or, yeah. or whatever, but I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. So anyway, well, here, here's where I, I hang up a little bit, which is what should our risk tolerance be for a vaccine? Right. That, that is, that is, I, I, no one really ever 
specifies that? I mean, what what is the point at which we have saved sufficient number of people that the risk tolerance is worth it? And what's the number at the risk side? I've never seen anybody specify it. And it seems to be different according to different disciplines. Like I said, pediatricians, zero tolerance from death from the underlying illness, no concern about how many people are hurt by 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 the vaccine. That seems to be the that seems to be their sort of their bias. I, I don't know. I, 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 so at the core, we have to all decide really how much risk are we going to tolerate? in order to save how much from what? In other words, a, how many cases of measles encephalitis are we going to prevent versus how many untoward effects of vaccine are we gonna tolerate and what kind of untoward events? And this this is not something that's actively discussed, it seems to me, or at least I've not seen it. So do, are you aware of anything like that? Uh, no, but I, I do have a comment. I, I apologize, I'm gonna disagree with Please. you here. Um, you, you said, you said we, and we, tolerance do we have? This this is a moral question. Um, before I started anything, writing anything about data, I wrote two articles about morality. Uh, one is the value of contrarianism in the times of witchery on my substack. The second one is the moral calculus of a death lottery. Okay. And I go back to, um, and yeah, if, if you're a little bit older than me, you probably remember the lottery by Shirley Jackson written in the 1940s. We all had to read in school. It was about the, the little town they had and people would go, it's like, oh, it's the lottery. It's the town fair. And then one woman was saying, I don't really agree with the lottery. I don't like it. Um, and what, what happened is they choose a family by lottery, and then they choose a member of the family by lottery, and they stone them to death. Now, what we have here is a situation, we know somebody's going to die. Okay, somebody's going to die. And who are we to choose? Well, it's only one in a thousand, it's one in a million. And now we have papers to say, well, the disease is worse than the um, if." If the shot is so much better than the disease, the people will know it. We'll know who's dying and who's living. And it, it should always be up to the people to decide whether or not they want the shot. I mean, if it's really a bad disease, people are gonna want the shot. They should never be coerced. They should never be forced to take the vaccine. And that's a moral decision. It's not up to society to decide, um, you know, Bill's gonna die today. Oh, you don't get to choose it's Bill. It's gonna be random. Oh, that's fine then. No, it's not fine. You yeah. know somebody's going yeah. to die. And therefore, from a moral point of view, you, you, you should not be participating in a death lottery, whether it's a random draw or a, a selected person. I, I will it's just, murder. I will pile on, I will pile on in one respect and I'll push back a little bit on another. One is that the, the morality around making a healthy person sick from something we do to them is entirely different than somebody getting sick from an infectious disease and dying because of something we didn't do to them, right? It's a very different moral equation, number one. Number two, I've always worried that we put serious infectious disease consequences behind the closed doors of the hospital. And so people never see the kids dying of measles. They never see the, the encephalitis. Now we see too much of it. So we're biased by that also, right? Our experience biases us the other way. But I worry that people don't make good informed consent because they never see the downside of some of these conditions. Then that's their choice. 
It's it's not. It's for, their for choice, you to make but choice. it's their choice. But as a physician, I feel like my job is to inform and to, you know, uh, offer my point of view and judgment. And they can choose. They can take it or not take it. You're ultimately you're right. It is up to the individual, and we, and we have point. taken all that away. Yeah. No, that's my point. Like, oh, you can't have a job. No, you can't have a job, and you're going to lose your house. And you you now you no longer have a profession. You've been thrown out of your profession. Can't go back to semiconductors, yeah. right? They won't take me. I'm too old. Yeah. Now I tried to go to law school. They threw me out. What am I going to do? I haven't worked in years. You know, I, so I'm writing a book. Um, we'll see what happens. But so you're going to um, be a you're going to be a troublemaker. <laughs> you're going to be a gadfly and a troublemaker. So um, come on, bring it. Like, listen, we uh, like that. We I, like that. I hope everybody was as enraptured by what you were saying as as I was. I, to me, this was like talking to Ed Dowd. That was another. Yeah, we love him. Yeah, that, this He's was the one another. Who told me to write the book. Well, <laughs> this is another. I'm sure of it. I the, everyone who's looking at these things kind of finds each other, and and I, you know, I'm a little more of a moderate than than most, and certainly than Steve Kirsch and yourself. But but I believe there is something extremely valuable in what you're showing, and the fact that we can't talk about it is disgusting. And so I I hope that you will continue to pound on the courts, yeah. uh, as you said. Uh, the, the consequences are going to be dire, but the consequences of not looking at these things seem to me to be worse. Remember we when we had the again. COVID tracking system and we had all these things? We could not see who was season, dying of COVID, but why didn't that. we have a COVID vaccine of course not. tracking We've system? Never, not in a million years. But, but I have a question. Um, okay, the fall's coming. That's when people get the flu, they get sick, they get cold, mm -hmm. in middle of the summer. Are we going to go through this whole thing all over again with you got to get the booster and you have to, you know, the kids have to be vaccinated to go back to school because COVID-19's back? Or it's it's hard to tell. The virus could still mutate into something nasty. I mean, that's a finite possibility, just unlikely. Uh, I do believe we will go through some of that. I suspect in California, we'll but it doesn't protect you it. against getting it. But if he does it. something like that, I know, or passing it. But if we does, if they do do something like that, let's uh, let me help you. Let's try to find a way to sue Governor Newsom. Yeah, because he has been the most egregious outlier in all of this, <clears throat> and uh, I don't think they'll be able to defend themselves, frankly, because they've been so over their skis. That's a logical argument you're trying to make. There's no logic in what's been happening. You know, the, the courts are all greased. Depends on where you go, but um, yeah, we can talk about jurisdictions. I could go in so many different directions. I've done podcasts that are over three hours and all new content. You know, um, I don't know what to say, but it, I'm maybe doing we my can best find you. It. We can get you. I, I'm gonna see if I can get you. I, get me some stuff, and I'm gonna push on Rogan's people. Maybe we can get you over there. That would that would sort of get it up, good to, idea. up to another level. So, all right, listen. I, we do know him. We he are, doesn't. He doesn't ever have Drew on the show, but we do we, know him. We can. We might be able to get you on the show. Yeah. That, yeah. So let me work cool. on all these things. You might have to smoke some pot with him, but I don't... yeah, you may have smoked a little weed, but so what? <laughs> uh, or or maybe Bill That's Maher too. Is what about one. that Tim? What about that Tim guy you did? Tim Cast? Yeah, and... Tim Cast would be another oh, cool. one. I mean, these that really... was a big one, right? Yeah, but that's He's... sort of singing to the choir a little bit. Uh, or Candace. Candace. Well, Candace. See, it's all singing to the choir. I, I think. I think Joe has a broader audience yeah, and, and, and reported more broadly too, and it would be, have more of an impact. So, let me let me kind of chew on it. Send me the stuff, John. I, I suspect I'll want you back soon to to kind of much like we talked. Have to him Ed on Adam, Adam Carolla show. 
and, and we'll see. Uh, uh, and maybe we'll get, we're going to we book you. I'm going to be your, your personal we booker. Didn't to, we didn't get to any signal analysis and all the other stuff that I've done that epidemiologists seem to have missed. Um, I can, and this is look, looking in, at in Minnesota. Or in Massachusetts, oh, all together. Minnesota, yeah, yeah. The the signal analysis is is different than other people look at it. But what I found is, I can find the Simpsons paradoxes. Okay, where people think that there's no signal, there is because there's a deficit in the over eighty fives that canceled out the the new signal, which is steady state. So I have three things: it's the symptom spectrum profile, the age spectrum profile. It dropped first in one year. Okay the excess death dropped from 81 to 65. It's a lot of young people dying. And then the seasonality profile went from seasonal, which is a sine wave, to a linearly increasing signal with a little bit of steady state in there. And then if you add the acute renal failure, it's a combination because why are people dying sinusoidally, seasonally in acute renal failure? Because you get COVID, you go to the hospital, they give you remdesivir. That's happening in the winter. So you have a lot more acute renal failure deaths in the winter, but the troughs are going up. So again, it can go in so many different directions. Uh, yeah, what I was talking about was daily. What you have up there, um, that's a percentage of total. And that you see where 2020 uh, shrinks down into almost normal, whereas 21 and 22 are extremely high. Um, the 22 is 100% more than expected on, on a uh, trend analysis. And that equates in, this is Massachusetts. Yeah, so that's 2,000 extra deaths from one single ICD-10 code. And again, it's a dot nine, so it's acute renal failure unspecified. Um, but it, it's one single code in one single state, 2,000 excess deaths at the time. And it, that started at the time they instituted remdesivir. And they're not even looking at it. They won't look at it. And that's a lot of dead people. Yeah, it, it is, all of it is alarming and concerning and needs explication and discussion and uh, a, a literature response to your, your challenge. But the fact that it all becomes uh, suppressed, that, that's the part that I find most, uh, most disturbing. It's, it, that, all right, well, yeah. Sorry, John, thank you for uh, doing all this work. As I said, I want to maybe bring you back and keep the conversation going. Maybe when Kelly's in here, Susan, to uh, give her a crack at this. And uh, yeah, we should have had her on today too. We're going to have her on more in July. I'm, yeah, Tom Renz tomorrow, who is who is also someone taking out a lot of cases. Do you know Tom Renz? R E N Z. Do you know Tom? Um, yeah, we've talked uh, on a couple of Zoom calls. He he might he'll remember me. He'll know who I am at least. Okay. Um, I haven't spoken. Right. Not not a direct one on one. No. Yeah, he seems like someone that would also be a good collaborator for you. So we'll see. Well, yeah. God bless you the, the for the cases, work you've done. Yeah. The, the, the legal cases, you have to understand that the market was cornered on law firms. <clears throat> Warner Mendenhall down at the, um, I spoke at the COVID litigators conference down in Atlanta, and there were like 250 lawyers there. He said, how many people are from firms over 50? Two people raised their hand. How many people are in mm -hmm. firms over 10? It was like five or six. Everybody was in firms under 10. And then how many of you people moved over from real estate law or estate planning mm. to take litigation cases because nobody else would? And a bunch of people mm. raised their hands. The, the litigators don't want to have anything to do with it because any corporate law, uh, cor any corporation would not allow the law firms they, they go to to take any cases. 
it's all the market was cornered on lawyers and people have been left high and dry. You're looking at class actions for remdesivir. Uh, there was one call I was on. There's 120 people. They lost their husbands and wives. And, and it was brutal to listen to the stories. They were hooked up to this stuff dying um, and it killed them. It's it just it, it, Dr. Drew, I've, I've cried over my keyboard and, for nearly a year. And and let's and I again, it's the hospital protocols, these clinical pathways. They are mandated to add remdesivir. That is the part that is again back to the capture you were talking about, the electronic medical record and whatnot. So, all right, listen, I do have to wrap this thing up. I have to go to another Twitter Spaces with uh, Mario Nafal to talk about these things. You might go over there and raise your hand. It's it's uh, should be underway uh, now. Um, he brings me up. So I'll be happy to go over. Yeah, well, check it out. Raise your hand, and I'll, I'll mention that you're there if he brings me up. So, Susan, what's that? You want to plug your phone into the mic over here? Not uh, yet. Possibly, yeah. Possibly I'll do that. Yeah, not right this minute. <laughs> exactly, not right now. So, so, I know, I know. Let's wrap ourselves up here. John's been very interesting. Again, Tom Renz tomorrow, Kelly in here. Uh, we are uh, out on Thursday, yes, out on Thursday and back again next week. There's the upcoming guest. Yeah, we'll be here tomorrow. Vivek Ramaswamy on July 3rd should be very good. Kat Lindley with Kelly on July 5th. Uh, Mark McDonald, psychiatrist, back on July 11th. Beginning the guy that got us censored him. on YouTube. Oh, is that right? Remember Mark that? I don't know yeah, why. It might have been, yeah. Well, we'll figure this out. And we'll keep pushing forward. We appreciate you, your... Please do tell a friend. We appreciate your support. Get people to listen to this particular stream we support did today. Support our sponsors at drg.com slash sponsors backslash, and you'll find all the coupon codes there. Susan, this is Susan. Get Susan's, your new teeth whitening. This is Susan's system. business. Please support her. Yeah, we need your help. This is the only way we can keep doing this. Yes, exactly. And Susan's been, and Caleb, done a, and Emily Barsh have done a yeoman's job of getting this thing going. So, But it lets us uh, continue to do these things and do something interesting like talking to John. And I hope trust you all. Tell a what friend. A saint. Let them listen to this. Judge for themselves. I think it's important. And uh, again, uh, follow up at Ask Dr. Drew. Go over to Twitter and tell him how much you loved him. Yeah, fair enough. All right, we'll see you all tomorrow, 3 o'clock Pacific time. Correct, Susan? Yes, 3 o'clock Pacific time tomorrow. See you then. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Hey.